0: The talk tonight is about purity of heart. Can we imagine that when we took birth into this world that perhaps we had a very sweet, divine aspiration uh, to know that we were going to receive all the pain in the world and learn how to care for it? or to be given all the joy in the world and learn how to appreciate it. You might be able to imagine that you had this aspiration as you took birth, as you were touched by the universe in this incarnation. Because probably you did probably wouldn't be in this room if you didn't have that kind of sweet, pure aspiration. There's a great Japanese Zen master, Sun Roshi, who was asked toward the end of his life what he thought his best haiku was that he had written in his life. And he said his best haiku was this, All beings are blossoms. Blossoming in a blossoming universe. All beings are blossoms, blossoming in a blossoming universe. Sometimes we aren't the blossom we think we should be. (laughs) 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 But we're blossoming and others are blossoming. And if we're not judging this process of blossoming, we learn. So can we understand that we're here to learn? And if we get that, there'll be this purity of heart and purity of motivation to try to learn from whatever situation is happening in our life. So our spiritual task as human beings is to try, at times, to be in touch with our, our sweetest aspiration this lifetime so that we can be motivated to understand the vast range of joy and sorrow in this world. We take birth into a world of duality. And I could name so many aspects of this, but the basic one is pleasure and pain. But there's birth, life, and death. There's predator and prey. Female, male. Black, yellow, red, white, brown. War, peace. Easy, difficult. Householder, monk, nun, poor, rich, marriage, divorce. And then we hear the near and far enemies of the Brahma-viharas. Envy, or appreciating joy, compassion, or cruelty, loving kindness, or anger. So if we're not asleep, we will find that we were born into a paradox of a range of joy and sorrow. And, and even somewhat opening to, the, to this world of duality can be shattering. It can crack us open. And hopefully that will happen at times in our life. So that we will be motivated to understand the spiritual journey. I think of the gift of life as spiritual urgency. How, how do we remain open and vulnerable and receive life but also to be protected by wisdom and love? The Buddha taught that human birth is so precious because it's one of the best planes of existence or the best plane of existence to do spiritual work. So there is this mix of pleasure and pain. Sometimes it doesn't feel like an equal mix, does it? (laughs) But can we be motivated? within this world of pleasure and pain to learn. One context for learning a skillful response to the range of joy and sorrow in this world are the teachings that the Buddha gave on the four Brahma Viharas. When we contemplate the first, loving kindness, which we've been doing predominantly in this retreat, we see that Understanding purifies the love. When we do the compassion practice, we come to understand that understanding is what purifies caring about pain. With empathetic joy, we'll start to understand that understanding is what purifies appreciation. And with the last Brahma Vihara, Upeka, equanimity, balance in the face of the joys and sorrows in this world. It's understanding that purifies acceptance. So the first divine home or Brahma Vihara and remember it's meant to be a divine ideal home for us. We don't always live there all the time as human beings. Loving-kindness is, is the foundation of the four Brahma-Viharas. And I think of loving-kindness as, as like the fabric of the universe. It's incarnation itself, love. And it's so fundamental. It's what holds us. It's a container for understanding. And to learn how to give a blessing and to receive a blessing is what loving kindness is. The near enemy, as you all know, at this point is attached love. The far enemy is anger. Compassion that Rebecca talked about last night we orient the openness of heart that we learn in loving kindness toward pain and suffering and when we imagine that aspiration that we could have had when we came into this world compassion is what gives us the strength to say give me all the pain in this world I want to care about it Otherwise, it would be too overwhelming. But it's possible for us to have that aspiration. So we can transform our awareness of sorrow in this world to a skillful response of care, sometimes skillful action, instead of reacting to the pain with a near enemy, the experience that seems so much like compassion, grief, sorrow or pity or the opposite cruelty and can we have the aspiration to be given all the joy in this world and to appreciate it the experience that seems so much like empathetic joy is attached joy or over exuberance The opposite is jealousy or envy. And equanimity, that unconditional acceptance of things as they are, accepting the whole world of duality. The experience that seems so much like this deep balance is indifference but the heart is closed, it's disconnected from the joy and the pain. And the opposite of equanimity is reacting to the joy in the world with, with attachment, addiction, and reacting to the pain in the world with fear, withdrawing from the pain, or pushing it away with anger or ill will. As we learn the loving-kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity, you might find that one of them is easier for you than the others. All of us are motivated to share the teachings on the Brahma Viharas, all of them, because we find that some people really take to compassion and that the metta is harder. Or maybe you'll take to, to the empathetic joy. Uh, And you might think of this like um, looking at an unplowed potential garden. It's like there are places where our heart is actually softer. And it's much easier to plant seeds in in the earth where it's softer. So you might be softer in the heart around compassion than equanimity. Someone else might hear the equanimity and go, ah. I've struggled through this whole retreat. (laughs) And I'm finally relating to one of these Brahma Viharas. Uh, We'll encourage you at the end of this retreat to pick the one that's the easiest for you and develop it, strengthen it. That's going where the soil is easier, planting the seeds. That'll loosen up the soil for the other Brahma Viharas. As you know, a gardener or a farmer works really hard in the soil and they create the best conditions for their plants. Do we relate to ourselves like that spiritually? Do we really work hard to create the best conditions for our seeds to sprout? Do we give them the most sun, the rain? Do we weed ourselves? A retreat is like weeding yourself. (laughs) And then a, a farmer or a gardener does the best they can and then they let go of control of the results. And that's what we're doing, each sitting, each walking. Doing the best we can, letting go of control of the result. This is an old Japanese poem. To those who long only for flowers, fain would I show the full-blown spring which abides in the toiling buds of snow-covered hills. Do we only want the flowers? Or do we remember the long winter where the buds were ready for next spring but had to wait through the fall and winter So gardens grow with a combination of great aspiration and ardency, but also patience. We can see when we come in here to sit with you that there's blossoming happening. You might not be able to see it or hear it, but we hear just from the questions and being with you in interviews. There's a lot of blossoming happening in here this week. And it's so wonderful to be with you with it. So remembering that there's so many blossomings in this universe. I did a self-retreat this spring for two weeks while Steve was doing a self-retreat in Burma. And the only place I could find uh, near home was a, a neighbor of ours on the land that we're trying to get for a meditation center on the Big Island, she offered me her home while she was going to be in California for two weeks. Uh, So I was offered it to house-sit for. And I had, as Steve explained, we had been very overworked for a very long time, hadn't been doing retreats ourselves, uh, and I, I was really looking forward to this retreat. But I didn't really make the connection to what it would be like house-sitting at her house. Uh, And it really, I must say, I had a very unknowable aspiration for this retreat. I just wanted to get some sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I was really tired. You know, maybe a little sitting, a few walks, but I just, you know, (laughs) really wanted some sleep. Um, It didn't happen. (laughs) It was like... I didn't think about the reality of coming in there. Uh, and this woman has five dogs that bark, that bark all night and 44 guinea hens. And I don't know, if, if you don't know what a guinea hen is like, I hope you never meet a guinea hen. <laughs> I've seen it on the menu a few times since I've been in my <laughs> <hand>. <laughs> Oh. It was it was a hard retreat, I gotta say. So just to just get a sense, the guinea hen would start around one of them would start about four AM and they would all peak by six AM. Just forty-four really, they were primal scream, like wanting, 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 wanting. <laughs> till eight at night. You know, just it was just really intense. Um <laughs> And I've never done it, been a yogi with five dogs that I was responsible for. And I came, my plane was late, so I, I came in, uh, and this woman didn't get to explain anything about even how do you feed the dogs without them trying to kill each other for the food. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a whole new kind of retreat for me. <laughs> and I found that I learned so much from these dogs. It's like they were so transparent, you know, their emotional world. It's like their incredible care for each other. And then, in the next moment, their jealousy of each other. And then, you know, then it's the cruelty. And I would find, because I've never done a retreat with five dogs, and um, <laughs> I would find myself going, bad dog. You know, I, was, I broke silence so much. It was, good dog, bad dog. <laughs> good dog. <laughs> it was... Uh, I was like a comedy show on my retreat for the first seven days. Um, But I must say that openness of heart in terms of just watching these near and far enemies just take them over. And then I would see how they really wanted to be good. It's like all they needed was me going, no, 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 no. And they would go, oh, yeah. (laughs) Want to be good, <laughs> you know, and then they would do something else, like attack one of, you know, the other dogs, and I'd be like, no, 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 and and by the end of two weeks, I found that because I was with them almost all the time um, and was reminding them as a yogi to yogi, practically, they started really, <laughs> you know, showing signs of brahma <laughs> But I noticed this morning when we talked about boundaries, um, <laughs> there were times when I really had just, one of my aspirations was to be able to be alone <laughs> a little bit on the land and to sit. And they, when I would go to sit, they wouldn't, they'd jump all over me. And I was training them, But um, so I decided that morning time was my time walk an afternoon was their time. But the only way I could get them not to come with me was to bribe them with peanut butter and lock them in the house, you know. (laughs) And so I had to look at that guilt. Uh, Really, it was hard. They, I felt really badly. So I'd bring, I'd get them in with the peanut butter and I'd sit down with them and I'd say, morning time is my time. and afternoon is your time. And they'd look at me like, (laughs) you know, they'd almost get it. It was just like, okay. So loving kindness. Why do we love? Why would we even attempt to love? when it hurts so much to lose it? You know, that is really the question, isn't it? And unconditional love means that we go deeper than the conditions of loss and gain, and deeper than birth and death, deeper than predator-prey. And we work with sameness, diversity. And so we're meant to learn to love everything the rough, the hard, the smooth, the tight. And the blessing is in that, you know, that in the face of change and loss and diversity, can we learn to love everything. When we work with a difficult person or being, I think we often find that it's the very thing in ourselves that we can't accept, that we find that we're bouncing off of with that person or being. There's a neighbor of ours in the Big Island who grew up for, for in a family of generations of people working the sugar cane and he is an incredibly naturally wise being. And there have been times where we've been talking about one of the uh, difficult people in the community that Stephen mentioned that had uh, given Steve such a hard time at the community meetings. And this uh, neighbor will sit with me and he'll ask me a question that he expects no answer from. And he'd say something like, I wonder why he's doing that. I wonder why he says that. And then I've seen him do that whenever there's something difficult or someone difficult. He'll just, he's very quiet and he'll say, I wonder why he does that. And I'll find myself wanting to get involved in a conversation and I'll realize (laughs) that's not what he's doing. He's just saying, I wonder if we could really understand why they're doing this. We would be able to love this person. I was on the phone tonight with my niece and because there's a kind of family, some family suffering going on. Uh, and it was like I have a perspective on her mom, my oldest sister, that of course she doesn't have. And I did the same thing that this man, Ben, um, our neighbor in the Big Island, does with me sometimes. I said to her, I wonder why your mom does those things. And it was just like, ah. You know, we could talk about it, and she was interested in it. That's how we break down the barriers. We haven't talked so much about the forgiveness practice, but it's a whole aspect of the loving-kindness practice that's so important. And it's important to learn that we do the forgiveness for others, we do the forgiveness for ourselves. If forgiveness is a difficult practice for us, sometimes it's important to just do some forgiveness for ourselves. Some people find it helpful to do forgiveness at the beginning of a sitting, and it really opens their hearts up. Other people find if they did forgiveness at the beginning of the sitting, They'd have so much stuff come up, you know, they wouldn't make it through the sitting. You know, people are really different. So if you find that forgiveness is a practice that is inspiring for you, and we'll introduce the phrases probably tomorrow morning. They're very simple. It's like, if I have harmed anyone knowingly or unknowingly, I ask their forgiveness. If anyone has harmed me, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive them. If I've harmed myself, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive myself. They're very few words, but very powerful. And at the right time for us, very healing, they cut down the division between ourselves and anything difficult in ourselves or others. And remember that even if we can't always do it, it's being in touch with that that aspiration I talked about tonight at the beginning. It really is our spiritual aspiration to forgive, even if we can't a lot. So planting that seed, even saying the words once in a while, is planting the seed for the blossom of forgiveness to happen sometimes. In describing my sitting with the guinea hens, I found it really humbling to sit with the guinea hens all day. Uh, and if you find that there are times when you wish that there was more unconditional love happening in this retreat, it's, it's important to see that this, these practices are meant to be humbling. The practices are vast. Uh, Say we think we're doing well at the practice here, but then maybe George Bush's face comes into our mind. <laughs> I'm serious, can we can we wish him well? And it could be any anybody, maybe maybe it's not him, but maybe it's someone we have difficulty with. It's like there are plenty of places in this world to practice loving kindness because we need it. All beings who take birth in this world need loving-kindness. And, and often the beings that are more difficult actually need it even more. Some beings are very easy to wish well. I was, um, went by the little pond down on the other side of the parking lot uh, here and noticed there were two beaver in the pond. And what was really nice for me was to notice there was a woman sitting there appreciating watching the beaver in the pond. So it was not only that just joy of being with another being and seeing them in the wild, but seeing someone appreciate that. Now that's not in this world. It's a very simple experience. But it's very connecting. And we have access to these experiences in our lives. It's often that we just don't take the time to recognize that we can wish well in these places. We have mentioned this a lot, but I wanted to remind you that there are so many different responses we have to the experiences of the Brahma Viharas. So for example, we might have a sense of just spaciousness or we might cry with gratitude or we might have a quiet happiness or just quiet or joy. Uh, so it, it, it's not that we are trying to pin down any of these experiences being supposed to be this way or that way. It's to really have that sense of beginner's mind and to let the practice unfold and the blossoms happen as they do. We talk about the proximate cause for loving-kindness to appear as uh, really tuning into the qualities about them that touch your heart. In the compassion practice, we tune into the helplessness of ourselves or others in the face of suffering. And that, that again, it's, uh, some of these are just learning them and remembering them and seeing that it's the willingness to touch into that. It's like in the loving-kindness practice. It's the willingness to see the beautiful angle of someone. With the compassion, it's the willingness to touch into the helplessness. In a way, I have found in my own practice over the years that each time a kind of new layer of pain would emerge um, over time, the the conditioning was to resist it. And the question would be, like the first, when I first started to meditate, the question was, well, what am I going to do with all the sleepiness? You know, it's, (laughs) I had no idea that there could be this much sleepiness in a day of meditation. Um, And finally, the answer was, oh, maybe I better try experiencing it. It's like that's the helplessness in the face of it is finally going, oh, I can learn a skillful response of mindfulness to this. It's okay. And then when I finally allowed the sleepiness, it was like, Oh, (laughs) the new layer. Oh, what am I going to do with all this aversion? You know, that was sort of covered by the sleepiness. And there was that fighting it, fighting it, and finally going, Oh, I can learn to be with this. And wherever we are in the practice, if we're growing, if you're growing, you will find more layers. This is, this is, give me all the pain in this world. I want to learn to care for it. If you find it in yourself, you'll be able to help others. Whatever you resist in yourself, you won't be able to help others with it. What am I going to do with this pain in my neck? (laughs) Or my back? Uh, And It's so hard to remember that we're not trying to get rid of the pain in the world. We sit here and we think, oh, if that hip was just not quite like this, then I could get fully enlightened. Yeah? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not getting rid of it. It's learning the skillful response of care and mindfulness. Empathetic joy. It's like we could, we could use a big dose of this in our culture. If only we could even get one day of the newspaper. Where there was empathetic joy in it, you know, or at least some of the blessings. Front page headline Wood thrush gives birth to baby bird, you know. (laughs) Whatever, you know, but it's like, (laughs) would anybody buy it? (laughs) So appreciating the joy in this world. I find that retreats are the place where people get the most in touch with what joy is and what simple joy is. And some of it is because there's enough renunciation, there's, there's enough uh, of the kindness of lack of overstimulation so that when one, one does receive a banana in the morning that one can really take the time to appreciate it and receive it So joy has a lot to do with receiving the sound of a bird, receiving a flower, and understanding that that's how simple joy is in this world. It's not a complex process, but we are so busy, we don't take the time. On my retreat, just to be able to take a walk, any walk, and to feel the wind in my cheek, and to feel the gratefulness for that, we're so busy. There's so much beauty in this world. Can we appreciate it and not get caught up in it? To be able to feel joy in another's uh, happiness The example we often give for uh, the experience that seems so much like empathetic joy but isn't is if your best friend won the lottery. And then you started thinking, well, they really have a lot. I wonder if they're gonna share some with me. You know, so there's that sense of, you can feel that initial happiness and then start wanting (laughs) some of it. Uh, The opposite of empathetic joy is that jealousy, that pain of envy, and it's based on comparing. The Buddha said that comparing is madness. Again, on retreat, when we encourage you not to look around at other people, it's because we want you to restrain your senses enough so that if you do look, you'll see the comparing mind. You will see the judging mind. The judging mind and comparing mind is such a predominant factor of our thought process that if we don't get quiet and still enough, we won't see it. I mean, I know that a lot of you think, you know, oh, we all look like zombies walking around here so quiet. But actually, there's an, a purpose in it. The purpose is to start to get quiet enough to start seeing this near enemy of empathetic joy, judging, comparing, judging, comparing, how much we do it. Underneath our jealousy is worthlessness, feeling like we're not good enough or not sufficient. On the re- the self-retreat I had, I um, did my own grocery shopping and there's a f- certain point where I had eaten a lot of the food and I was down to a few things. And one of them was vanilla y- yogurt. Uh, so in the morning, after some days of sitting, I was sitting there with my vanilla yogurt and I started kind of playing with the, the just, just... <laughs> this might fi- sound like a very simple joy, but I had so much joy eating this yogurt. And it was because when I would get it on the spoon in my mouth, I, I would make it so that there was a little bubble that would kind of catch, and I'd swallow it. And I'd feel like this young girl just having such delight was such a simple thing. And it was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, that's how simple joy is. When I would look up at the sky and see that soft, vulnerable, blue petal of a sky and have that sense that I had the time to appreciate it. How do we go off with this? It's like, what is it that happens? On a retreat you can really see that you might be out doing walking and you might start noticing a buttercup or something. And do we appreciate the joy and the beauty or we, do we get lost in it? Explore this, because out in the world, we do really get lost in it, and it can be so painful. And I can give a very, um, it, this isn't a complicated story, but it's something that we can do in our lives, maybe not this extreme. Uh, with Stephen and I had some friends visit us this winter in Hawaii, uh, and some of our friends really wanted to take this family to, um, it's like a big buffet at a hotel. It's a very well-known buffet, uh, brunch. That was a, it was a brunch. Uh, and Stephen and I had never been to this place, and we got there, and it was so overwhelmingly big. Like, there was so much food. And my initial response was aversion, you know, just like, Oh, our culture, you know, all this food, it's disgusting, and we, we go in, and I then I thought, okay, Michelle, just go with the flow, you know, see if you can go with the flow. Boy, did I go with <laughs> the flow. <laughs> I went way over the other side, so I, I decided that I was going to pace myself, and that I wasn't going to, like, overdo it, and I got into this huge pride, like, I was getting more and more inflated, like, I'm going to, you know, pace myself and everyone else is going to have a hard time. So I was, (laughs) (laughs) I was looking at everyone's plates, at what people had. And then I'd go out with my plate and uh, I did spend a long time looking at the dessert table, uh, but I kept going around uh, and I thought I would only take what stuff that I don't usually normally eat in my life. So I, this was probably my downfall. You know, I started taking all this food that I don't normally eat, which I think just didn't combine (laughs) so well. Uh, That's how I (coughs) rationalize how bad it got. Uh, So I'm pacing myself and pacing myself and pacing myself, (laughs) plate after plate after (laughs) plate. And I noticed that the little boy next to me started to kind of go white. And he, and he, he looked at me and kind of pulled on my sleeve and he said, Michelle, my stomach's having convulsions, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh well, he overdid it, I didn't overdid it, <laughs> he overdid it, and so Steve went running to get Pepto-Bismol <laughs> from, you know, the people up at the desk, and so Steve went off, and I'm still like, it's not going to happen to me, and I go off with my plate for dessert. And everybody had their dessert. They they were probably fine. So I I go by and I um uh, I get this big thing of coconut cake and I go this is really light. This I won't even feel this. And then yeah. I I had a raspberry Windsor tort. I've never even eaten a like. I don't even like raspberry Windsor <laughs> tort. And I took a whole bunch of that. And so I get down there and I'm part way through the coconut cake and the raspberry Windsor tort, And I looked at my and I said, my stomach's having <laughs> convulsions. <laughs> and I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe I let myself do it. I mean, it was just like, it was, I walked in there totally disgusted, and I, and, and it was like there's sometimes, you know, it's just, I walked out of there like so, in so much pain. Um, <laughs> Isn't this what we do, addiction, anything we get attached to and we think, well, this won't do so much, (laughs) I'll have another one, and I'll have a little bit more. And it might not be coconut cake for you, it might be a person, whatever it is. We forget that the wanting and the aversion is inside. And we get so caught in what's outside. So I have found that the antidote for over-exuberance, for this near enemy, is gratitude. And I wish I had, (laughs) in that uh, brunch, remembered that. It's like whenever I remember gratitude for the beauty, I step back and I don't get so caught in it. This is from Mary Oliver's latest book of poetry, The Leaf and the Cloud. I rose this morning early as usual and went to my desk, but it's spring. And the thrush is in the woods somewhere in the twirled branches and he's singing. And so now I am standing by the open door and now I am stepping down onto the grass. I am touching a few leaves. I am noticing the way the yellow butterflies move together in a twinkling cloud over the field. And I am thinking maybe just looking and listening is the real work. It's very important for us to know how to access joy, that looking and listening. It's part of our aspiration in being here and to know that we can be given all of the joy in this world and not go off like a rocket, not get over-exuberant and lose ourselves in it, but to learn to be grateful and appreciate the gift of joy. One of the ways in which all of the Brahma-viharas come into balance is with the fourth, unconditional acceptance or equanimity. And they come in a for, for reason. It's like if we just learn the loving kindness, we won't see the breadth of these teachings. The unconditional acceptance, it's what allows us to face the joy and sorrow in the world with acceptance. This is the human world. It is a world, a vast world of duality. The phrase for unconditional acceptance, the simple one, is something Steve um, came up with on a retreat he did, which is, things are as they are. Things are as they are. Now another phrase um, is, our joys and sorrows appear and disappear in this world according to natural law. That's a little more complicated, yeah? Things are as they are is very simple. I had a friend, um, my first benefactor, who lived across the street from me where I grew up. Uh, And we don't get to be in touch very much because I'm very busy when I come here. And she was trying to email me the last couple weeks and every time she sends an email there's no text. I don't know if you get those, you know, something's going wrong. but it's kind of like her she's not really that technical i've been getting a lot of empty emails from her for years actually <laughs> and i'll write back and i'll say dear linda there's no text and then i'll get an, another one back my dear michelle and it'll be empty again <laughs> so today i got one back and it's it's still empty but there's a little re, you know a reason why it was empty she said hi michelle I was in a frenzy, like every day, trying to keep everything from from being how it is. So I thought, (laughs) who needs the text? (laughs) I was in a frenzy, like every day, trying to keep everything from being how it is. Indifference, denial, passivity. You'll hear us over and over saying that this practice isn't about passivity. Unconditional love is very active. Mindfulness is very active. These are very active um, qualities. They're the most beautiful spiritual emotions. And they help us to learn to let the layers of denial come off of our hearts. So pretending that the world is okay is how people pretend that they're enlightened. You know, we, wanna, we all act like we have it together and that we're enlightened. And we try to hide when there is anger or sadness or jealousy. It's equanimity that allows us to have the strength and protection to not resist to be transparent like the dogs. But we have, we're, you know, humans are really fortunate to be able to have the karma to develop more mindfulness and equanimity than a lot of the beings in the animal realm. It is a precious birth. When we're protected by equanimity, by that unconditional acceptance our attention is effortlessly smooth and spacious. And it's like we um, have no resistance to anything whatsoever. So it's equanimity that allows us to treat each experience equally. And that is the delight of a retreat. A retreat is designed so you go through everything so that you can't control that you will have times of sleepiness, that you will have times of doubt and restlessness and aversion and attachment, that you will face these near and far enemies of the Brahma Viharas. How else would we learn? So there are many times when I wish we could design it so that you sit from 11 a.m. to 12 and the rest of the day is holiday. Yeah? and that you would learn everything you would need to learn, but I don't think that you would. So equanimity is being okay with whatever's happening. The struggle is over. You know, there's really true peace. So I'd like to end with a chant that I um, learned from myself, from my sister. Uh, And I have been in Burma for some years now, except for this year. Uh, And when one is in Burma at the monastery at Chaswa by the Irrawaddy River, one hears so much chanting. One hears the young nuns chanting, the old nuns chanting, the young monks, the old monks. and there was a chant when I was there one year in February where the monks chant the patanas, these old scripts, uh, 24 hours a day for seven days. And it had the most beautiful um, rhythm and tune. And of course, this isn't quite it, but it is similar to it. And it was my way of trying to have an easy way in the day to chant the Brahma Viharas so I'd like to chant chant it for you. It's very short. May we be happy and peaceful And may we know Things are just as they are May we be happy and peaceful And may we know things are just as they are. May we care about each other's suffering. And may we know things are just as they are. May we appreciate the joys in our lives. And may we know things are just as they are. So may we be able to hold the joys and sorrows in this world with this great balance. Let's sit for a minute.